Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Varin Parmar from Karma Financial. He is an independent financial advisor who has been helping individuals and business owners for over a decade in financial planning, investment strategies, and insurance solutions. He has a solid financial background, including an MBA, CFA, and life insurance, and a life license, excuse me. He has contributed to the success of individuals and businesses alike. Varen, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Uh, So tell me, how has uh, COVID been treating you so far? It's been a challenge. It's um, like most people had to make changes, work from home mostly. My my business involves a lot of face-to-face social interaction. And especially early on during the early stages of pandemic, I had to put things on hold, whether it's meetings, um, doing any sort of business that required face-to-face meetings, uh, signing applications, et cetera. It also required our industry partners, such as the insurance carriers and wealth management firms to change their practices and allow for more um, non-face-to-face interactions using examples such as digital signatures, e-applications, e, uh, et cetera. And of course, having meetings through technology such as Zoom and Google, Google Chat, et cetera. So, um, it's been challenging in so many ways, but a great, great learning experience and it allowed me to focus on business development and other aspects of my business. But uh, like most people, it's certainly been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any tips on somebody that you can give somebody to help them financially with getting uh, dealing with these these times because this could be a very financial strain on people well the biggest thing is is um cutting out looking at your budget like always understanding a lot of people we don't do this enough is is looking at what they spend and what they make and sort of seeing those the things that they can cut down on those those luxury items things that they really don't need or they can do without to save as much money because um, this is our rainy day, so to speak. And so having um, an emergency fund built up and saving for as long as you can, it would be a great idea um, that involves identifying, looking at your budget, whether it's yourself or working with an advisor such as myself, looking at your current expenses and your income and your net worth, what, other assets you have and kind of doing an overall review because this is the other aspect of the pandemic is it's provided an opportunity to reevaluate and look at things that perhaps you may not have considered because we're so used to things just going on and on. We're just kind of carrying on our daily lives without really, you know, taking a moment to see where we're at and and really see what's important. so, so some of the things would be to look at those expenses that you don't need and try to cut down on those, whether it's eating out, um, gym, um, hate to uh, pick on gym, but um, for most people, they couldn't even work out because of the gyms being closed. But um, 
transportation, uh, various things that they can do. Uh, then when it comes to debt, looking at options to consolidate debt. Um, if you have things like credit card, lines of credit, personal loans, that sort of thing, and see if there's opportunities to consolidate it, whether it's using some equity in your home, if you're a homeowner, uh, looking at possibly taking out some of the equity in your home because prices in Toronto, as you know, have continued to grow grow and, and continue to increase. So a lot of equity has certainly, I imagine, built up in most people's homes, especially in the GTA. So uh, looking at that as a solution, as a possible alternative to consolidate debt, removing high interest loans and, and saving on interest costs as well. Um, of course, saving as much as you can. The um, I don't know if you've heard this saying, paying yourself first. So a lot of times we don't do this enough is when we make any sort of income from our jobs or businesses, we don't set aside a certain amount automatically. We just kind of spend it or we put it to other uses, but we don't discipline ourselves to set aside a, a fixed amount to pay ourselves. What I mean by pay ourselves is setting aside a certain amount per month towards your savings, whether it's building an emergency fund, long-term retirement, et cetera. Mm -hmm. On your website, you actually say that, uh, actually on your homepage, that you're unique. So can you talk about how you are unique to the rest of the uh, financial advisors? Yeah, absolutely. So we take a holistic approach, but we also provide alternatives because we're independent. We're not exclusively working with, with one partner or company. We can provide a lot of solutions to a lot of different people and we provide alternatives to the more traditional types of investments and insurance products. So we will provide solutions that are not um, easily attainable and accessible to, to the general public. Uh, things like private equity investments, investments in projects. Um, most advisors will generally deal in mutual funds or stocks and bonds and things like that, which is, which is very common, but we also provide access to um, ethical investing and, and private equity type um, opportunities, real estate deals, et cetera, um, that are not typically available to the, to the masses. Uh, same thing as in, in terms of insurance and tax planning. Um, we, we work with business owners um, as well. One of our niche markets is business owners and their, their needs are very different from, from the average person because they're on their own. They don't have benefits. Taxes are a big key in terms of planning um, everything they've got to do themselves, um, unlike an employee. So we work with a lot of uh, business owners to not only plan their taxes, but take advantage of group benefits and long-term investment planning, which is a little different for business owners compared to an individual. Yeah, we're gonna actually hit up a lot about the uh, small business and solo entre entrepreneurs because uh, I've been there too many times where it's uh, personally, where it's like you, everything's coming out of your own pocket. Like you're consistently reaching into your own pocket where regular em employees really don't understand that. But we're gonna touch up on that a little bit later. Uh, I 
did want to touch up on something that uh, you actually had a discussion on your recent blog post. You were talking about personal pension plans. Correct. So what are some of your best tactics on living, on living the life that you want when you're finished working and not having to worry about uh, money? Um, so is this more about, so I would say to that, once you reach a stage where you're financially free, um, where you can afford to cover your main living expenses, um, you still want to save for the future because you don't know how long you're going to live. Like, especially life, um, life expectancy in Canada is 90, uh, according to, uh, mortality, more actuaries, I should say, uh, which is a long time. So even potentially after you retire at age 65, for example, that leaves another 25 years potentially for you to continue living. So you would have to have enough income to support yourself for another 25 years. You'll be drawing down on all your savings that you've accumulated over your working years, uh, whether it's an RSP, pension, TFSA, et cetera. Um, so, but the challenge is making sure that that money lasts because 25 years is a long time. And a lot of things will come up as you age too. Um, healthcare costs are gonna go up too. That'll also eat into your, your accumulated wealth. So you still need to plan and be strategic in how you invest even in your retirement years and think of um, you do obviously have more time and freedom to enjoy the, the better things in life because you're past the years of working, which is great, um, whether it's traveling, um, following your hobbies and leisure activities that um, you didn't have enough time to focus on during your working years or your family or, or wh whatever. But you also still have to, it is still important to continue to manage and think about how you're gonna manage your wealth even beyond retirement because there is always a risk of outliving your money and not having enough to support yourself. And even despite having CPP and other government um, support, um, for most Canadians, it's not enough, especially depending on your lifestyle. Um, and it's not something you'd want to be fully reliant on. You'd want to have supplementary sources of income and support in addition to the, the government aid that's available there. So basically you want to plan your investments and still work with an advisor or um, if you're managing it yourself, you still want to continue to you know, be proactive. Uh, a lot of people have this misconception that once you're past a certain age, you can't afford to take any more risks in the markets whether it's in stocks or mutual funds, but we also don't want to have you put all your money in cash or something that's not going to grow because of the risk of outliving your money. Um, you want to still have some, some exposure to risk, but obviously your level of exposure goes down as you age because of the amount of time you have left to, to draw on your income. Um, so again, regardless of what stage you are in your life, whether you're, you know, young, working, middle age or past retirement, you always want to be proactive and, and still be planning your financial um, 
future. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to touch up on the RSP, but uh, I want to leave that to a little bit later when we start talking about uh, taxes and and stuff. But f- uh, for now, we're just gonna I'm just gonna leave that because uh, that's uh, I think that's an important one for myself and uh, most Canadians out there. Uh, but first, what I want to do is I want to touch up on uh, effective ways of saving, especially now with so many people that have lost their jobs or are just starting to get back to their jobs because of the COVID lockdown, everything's starting to open up. What's the best way that you have found to start saving again? And has this changed since the COVID uh, uh, pandemic? In yes and no. In a lot of ways, it hasn't because there's the same fundamentals of paying yourself first that apply where any money that you that comes to you, you should right away set aside a, a certain amount, with, whether that's you know all of it, a little bit of it, that kind of depends on your budget, what your current living expenses are, because you do still need to pay some bills. With COVID, there were a lot of um, bills that were sort of deferred or postponed that um, a lot of people didn't have to deal with, whether it's mortgage, um, if you own a home, a lot of people were able to take advantage of the six months deferral with the banks that were being offered so they didn't have to at least worry about the mortgage payments. I've also heard renters didn't have to, in some cases, not all, but landlords were able to defer or forgive some of the rental payments. Again, that depends on each situation. So my recommendation in terms of paying yourself first doesn't really change because that kind of holds universal like the idea of any money that comes to you in any form you should right away put it towards something but the key is not to put it in the mattress as cash a lot of people have this idea of just keeping everything as cash hoarding it as cash which is not um, a good idea because of inflation although it's the low in canada compared to other countries around the world you want to your money to grow for you. If you're not, if it's not growing, if it's not working for you, then you're in the, ultimately losing to inflation over the long term. So you save, you put $100 under your mattress now, it's going to stay $100. But in a year, that same $100 will buy less than it did today. Um, whereas if you invested it in even something uh, as risk-free as a as a government of Canada bond or a GIC or a high interest savings, although the return won't be great, it'll still be something and it's better than zero. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of recommending because that depends on the person, their situation, but uh, main thing is not keeping your money um, as cash and just sitting there. Although that is, especially in times like these, that kind of is the, um, the thinking that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we should keep everything as cash, uh, liquidate any stocks, any, any exposure to the market. What we found was that although there was a drop in the markets, a lot of people were able to recover from that um, since the pandemic, the peak of the pandemic, and it's come back and it's deadly growing. So um, whereas the people who immediately moved to cash, they did lose some value, but if they had stayed the course, 
they would have um, you know seen recovery in their portfolio. Um, again, for in terms of investment recommendations, um, how to save, um, look at your budget. The rule of thumb, uh, there's a book called um, The Wealthy Barber, and in it, I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's very popular. Um, it's a story, I won't go into the, all the details, but in a nutshell, it's a story of a barber who he slowly accumulated wealth over time, despite being just a barber, you might not think he has a lot of money, but he was smart um, for many years. He put aside a certain amount of money. Uh, it wasn't a lot, but it accumulated over time and, and there was compound growth on it. Um, and uh, that money became a lot of money. And he was known as the wealthy barber because he accumulated so much in savings over so many years. Um, and I, so along with that, I recommend it. It's never too late to start, but I highly recommend to young people that start early because the earlier you start, the, the, the more, the longer you, growth and compounding you have to accumulate on your, your savings. And you don't need a lot. A lot of times people assume you need to put in a lot or they have this idea in their head that they just can't afford to because it's... It, for them to reach the goal they need, they would need to put in. I would say to that, anything goes a long way, even if it's $10, $50 a month. Um, obviously, the longer, the younger you are, the earlier you start, the better it is, but it's never too late because, again, the markets will take care of you in terms of the growth, but that also requires you to take on a little bit of risk. I actually have read The Wealthy Barber. It's a great book. Um, one question I wanted to follow up with was uh, you, you, the deferred payments. We eventually have to pay those back, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's unlike some countries I've heard, I believe Italy, where they've forgiven the mortgage payments from what I heard. We in Canada, unfortunately, that's not the case where the banks are just simply giving you a six month break, but that same, those same payments still need to be made up and the banks will probably, there hasn't been a lot of information on that, but the banks will probably be reaching out to those who participated on what their, their new terms will be apparent. From what I hear, there's, the mortgage will simply be pushed back. There will be interest accrued on the six months of, of being deferred. So the interest will have been accrued and each bank will, of course, contact the person to let them know what what their options are, whether they want to pay that six months when they right away or just add, tack it on to the mortgage and basically add another six months to the mortgage uh, mm -hmm. so that it, it renews at a later date. But to answer your question, yes, you we are responsible to pay the money back. The bank has not forgiven the loan itself. They've just deferred everything six months. Well, nothing we can say about that. <laughs> um, another point that you actually, you're talking about was uh, cash money, like holding on to cash money. There's some really rich people out there that are telling people not to save, to spend every single penny that they have. What are your thoughts on that? Again, I personally believe that's um, 
that's a bad idea. Um, reading, you know, every known the literature recommends some form of savings. Um, by spending everything you have is like taking away from your future. You're consuming everything now for whatever reason. Um, you're taking away, you're essentially borrowing from your future. So you're essentially, you know, taking away your, whatever you could have had in the future and trying to enjoy it now. And, um, and that's not a good idea because again, you risk outliving your wealth. If you have no savings, even at retirement, then you're going to put yourself at risk and rely fully on government assistance. And that is all, and a lot of people may assume that's all they need, but there's no guarantee that the government doesn't make changes, take it away by the time um, they reach that age where they are eligible to re uh, receive social assistance. Those programs could be gone or they could be altered. They could be less. Uh, it is. It would be a huge mistake to assume that that you should only rely on government assistance, which again is not fully sufficient to meet a lot of needs. And that could be taken away. Having some form of savings, whether it's any, it's even something minimal, is gonna benefit you greatly. I'm not gonna say you should save 100%. Um, you do need to, and I certainly don't want to, to not enjoy life, whether it's travel, buying properties, um, um, whether it's, of course, um, pursuing your leisure activities or buying vehicles, whatever. But everything you buy is a depreciable asset aside from real estate. Most things that you consume are depreciable. They'll give you the temporary enjoyment at that moment, but they will either decline in value or they will be immediately consumed and they're, it's no longer there like food and entertainment. Um, so you're, you're, you're living for, if you pursue that, you're living for instant gratification um, and you're putting your future at risk. Um, I think I rephrased that question wrong, but I, I think you kind of got on, the, on, on that point because uh, I was actually referring to, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Grant Cardone. Yes. He's gotten heavily into property, real estate. So he, and he says like everything that you do, everything that you get, spend it so it can make you more money so spending on that so yes yeah, so getting to real estate it's an investment it's not in the sense that grant cardone and there's another person robert kiyosaki who's a, a popular figure he's got his own books he's, he's known as the rich dad poor dad person um, he's also a proponent of real estate investing that's one of how he made his fortune um, again, real estate is a appreciable asset for most most economies in most cases. Of course, it can go down, but in Toronto, at least, over the last how many years, it's no matter what we hear in the news, all this fear about the bubble and all that, everyone who's invested in real estate has made some money, um, regardless of what kind of property, whether it's a condo, a house, townhome, etc., so again, to your point, real estate is, is considered invest, investment. Uh, when I think of spending, I'm more thinking about consuming, like where there's no return, it's not growing, it's just for the moment, it's, it's um, instant gratification. 
investments like whether it's real estate, um, stocks, anything that has potential for future growth and future return, that I consider an investment and a good use of any disposable income because it, it is going to bring you a return. It is, there is, it is helping you not only keep above inflation, keep up with inflation, but it is helping towards your future um, lifestyle. Uh, so what kind of strategies would you use for small business owners or solo entrepreneurs to have something saved for their own retirement? So there's a few things they can do. Um, depends also on their incorporation status too. There's when you're incorporated, your situation is a little bit different because typically your taxes are lower you can keep most of the income in the corporation. You can, it's also provides creditor protection. Uh, there's a lot of benefits. Um, I won't go into too much detail about that, but regardless, there are things you can do. Um, in the case of an incorporated person, they can do what we call a personal pension plan where the corporation puts money towards the person's uh, long-term pension corporation is getting a tax deduction for all the contributions it's making on the owner's behalf. The owner is getting to build its own retirement portfolio using the corporate money, um, which means they don't have to um, declare any taxes on their end and have to draw any money um, on their end. So it's a win-win for the, in that case. The other option, the other thing they can do is whether regardless of in their incorporated or not, is using life insurance as a mechanism to build long-term retirement, where if they're corporated or, or not, the company can fund the business owner's life insurance policy. If they're incorporated, they can claim the premiums as a tax write-off and, um, and also the owner is, again, building a wealth, uh, sort of using the insurance as the vehicle. So how it works is normally when you get life insurance, uh, most typically the, the type of insurance is term insurance where you're buying for a fixed number of years and you're just buying insurance. The type of insurance for retirement planning you would use is permanent insurance such as whole life or universal life. And what that involves is um, an investment component. Part of the premiums go into paying for the insurance itself and then the other part is going into an investment account, which is growing tax-free. So it's like a TFSA, but it's all sort of packaged within an insurance policy. And so how it would work for the business owner is the business owner, let's use yourself as an example. You're incorporated. Um, the company would buy the insurance policy, pay the premiums on your behalf. They would claim the premiums as a deduction, but part of those premiums is going into an investment account that is growing, it's invested in things such as mutual funds, index funds, et cetera. And that's all tax deferred. Down the road, at some point after many years, that will have accumulated significantly in value. And at that point, you could do several things. You could borrow against the value of the, the accumulated value. And that way, if um, you don't, trigger any taxes, but you can use that money to fund your own retirement. You can pay it periodically. You can draw all of it 
um, and the ideas, and then the interest on the loan would be tax deductible as well. Um, or if your business is looking to expand and grow or buy other businesses, they could use that accumulated value as collateral. It's an asset. So they can use it to fund other purchases or other business initiatives down the road. Um, and then after you pass away, the idea is whatever's left in the insurance policy will pay off the loans and um, and then whatever's left is goes to the estate or your beneficiaries you name. So it's again another win-win situation and it's a good way for small business owners to build some wealth and also to get some tax deductions along the way. So this is like a fringe benefit for somebody ha investing in life insurance. So this is why it's so important. Correct. Correct. Especially for small business owners. Um, this is very crucial. The other thing to consider, this is very important in like partnerships or businesses reliant on key employees. There's, Again, I don't mean to get into too much details, but there's a lot of insurance policies that are bought by corporations on the owners and key employees because if something happens to one of them, the business is at risk. So what they do is they get the life insurance policies and disability as a way to supplement any loss of income in the short term, whether it's disability of the key employee or if they pass away, um, they, the business would have to continue. They'd have to either buy out the shares of the deceased owner, partner, and that can take time and money. A lot of times the partners may not have enough funds to buy out the deceased partners. So there's a lot of things that insurance can be used for for a small business um, in addition to retirement planning. How much would someone have to put in to start this? Uh, it would depend again on see the factors to determine your insurance premiums and how much you need would depend on a lot of things. A, um, how much is the value of the company, the shares of the business owner, for instance, um, your health, um, how, how old you are, things like that. So it's very hard to give you an answer of like how much you should put in because that'll depend on how much coverage you need. Like it could be you might need a million dollars coverage or 500 million. It'll depend on the size of the company. A lot of factors go in. But once you know the amount that you need, then from there, it's dependent on your age, your health, um, how many, how old you are, et cetera. Um, and then, and then how much your company, like the budget in terms of how much it can afford um, to, because obviously it needs to stay in business. So um, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So it's something that I would have to evaluate on a case by case basis. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so let's say somebody's not making, somebody's just starting out. They're starting their business. Uh, they don't. They just hear about what you just said, and they want to implement their. Your, what's they want to implement what you just said? What strategies would you use to help them get started? Well, the first thing I would do is look at the the forecast. So if they're starting out, they're new understanding where, what their forecasted revenues and expenses are. Um, because from that, it's very similar to dealing with an individual. Before creating a plan, we have to see where you're at in terms of your income, your expenses, your net worth, 
before we can start making <coughs> recommendations. Sorry. <clears throat> this so you have to look at the financial picture in terms of <clears throat> your expenses your expected revenues from there we can then make um, you know recommendations on how much could be put towards you know because we also have to factor in your expenses like your taxes etc one of the things that's very important is forecasting your tax exposure because a lot of people don't want to have to wait till the end of the year and have a surprise at the end. Um, so having an idea like doing a financial forecast is very key. This will help in terms of HST planning. Uh, if you have employees, payroll, things like that, getting an idea right up, right up front. And that way we can set aside a certain amount of money to, to cover things like taxes, even if it's an estimate. And then once, and then you can start even paying CRA. Um, you have the capability of paying installments right away, as opposed to waiting till the end of the year uh, and filing your taxes. And then, and then you know, not knowing, and then being having to pay a large lump sum. What I recommend is starting early, getting a head start, and having a fixed amount set aside so that you're prepared. The other thing you could do is set aside the money and have it invested in something safe so that at least it's growing as well. Uh, let's say you're starting out early in the year, the money you plan to use at the end of the year to fund your various tax liabilities. Um, you might want to consider investing that in even something that's risk-free so that at least it, it's staying ahead of inflation because a year is still relatively long and um, you know, you, you, you do risk losing to inflation even for the short term of a year. So a lot of business owners, I, I recommend putting aside the money and having it invested in even something risk-free for the short term um, because taxes can be a, one of the major liabilities for a lot of business owners. Which leads us into the next segment. Canada, in Canada, especially in Ontario, we're taxed to death how would someone save for their own taxes if they can barely eat? That's a very interesting and good question. It depends on a lot of situations. Uh, when it comes to business owners, it's a lot of times it's a question of incorporating or not. Uh, from the individual side, it's understanding all the different deductions and expenses are available. Problem is, it's not something we learn in school and CRA is not one to advertise and broadcast that you can claim all these expenses that are available to you. Um, a lot of times we, a lot of times people miss out on a lot of expenses that they can claim that they weren't aware of when they were filing their taxes. Now, if you use the services of a professional accountant, they of course can advise you on a lot of things, but a lot of people may not have that luxury maybe for whatever reason, because of financial reasons. So they do it themselves. Um, it's, it's doing your research. CRA is very good at least posting. You just have to find the website and going online to their website to learn all the deductions besides the per basic personal amount, um, healthcare expenses. A lot of times um, medical and dental expenses that are not covered by your 
group benefits plan, those are, those are also tax deductible that a lot of people aren't aware of. People a lot of times assume that if you're if they're covered by my benefits, then I probably can't claim it. But most benefits are not 100% reimbursed. So there's the certain portion that you can claim um, as a tax deduction from CRA. If you use your car for or home off home for your business, a lot of expenses related to your home, equipment, things like that. But even just focusing on the individual, a lot of renovation expenses, dependent care, um, even health and wellness going, tying in with health and wellness. Uh, there's some expenses related to health and wellness that may be eligible for a deduction because the government is encouraging a fitter um, country. So they've provided some incentives for people to claim that um, as, um, as an incentive. If you're disabled, so a lot of times people aren't aware they can, there's a disability tax credit available where if you're disabled, if you have a disability, um, you can claim it. You do have to get a, a, a form filled out and signed by your doctor to sign off on it to prove that you are in fact permanently disabled. But a lot of times it's awareness. It's just being aware of what's available. So I would suggest doing your research, seeking the advice of someone, a professional who does taxes and is familiar. There's a lot of um, literature and even videos out there that are out there for people to understand what there, what is available out there in terms of deductions. Students, uh, uh, sorry, to, no, even no, students, um, students are the interest on student loans, books, tuition, um, even living expenses, moving expenses. There's a lot of things that people are not aware of that are available um, to, you know, claim as a tax write-off. Uh, what about for the regular business owner? I mean, we're all, like I said, like we're always reaching into our own pockets. Like it, it's hard for us at the end of the year to fork over all that kind of money that the, that the government wants to take from us. Uh, do you have any tips for the entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things is keeping track, and this is one of the challenges for a lot of, especially smaller business owners, is keeping track of all your expenses. Um, there's a lot of, there's, I would suggest even investing in a, um, a bookkeeping software. There's QuickBooks is, is I believe $6.99 per month um, subscription. There's a lot of other similar services you can buy on subscription and they're not too overly expensive. Um, they save you a lot of aggravation in, in terms of keeping track of everything, your expenses, and will link to your accounts. So your checking, credit cards, um, all your accounts where your expenses are going through. So it'll keep track of everything and you should try to um, keep track of your expenses early on and not wait till the end of the year. You might miss out on a lot of potential tax savings. I have had clients that they weren't as organized and so they were scrambling to find things that they could claim and they were basing it on memory because they didn't keep track of it. Having a bookkeeping software like QuickBooks, which is interactive, it, it's online, it, you can do things early on right from the start of the year and it'll a lot of times 
automatic, like it'll sort and automatically categorize things for you. Things such as travel, meals, car allowance, mileage, um, advertising, etc. A lot of times it cannot be automated so that you don't have to do as much work. Whereas if you use, try to do it yourself, you'll have to do it on Excel, keep all your receipts, scan them. It can be very cumbersome, especially if you have a lot of paperwork. Um, so the, ch the thing is to go bookkeep and keep track of everything early on because at the end of the year, everything will be neatly organized for you and you would then be able to easily and more accurately claim all the deductions that could be available to you and not leave money on the table. Does this work both for incorporated businesses and non-incorporated businesses? Absolutely, absolutely. Because regardless of being incorporated, there's a lot of similar deductions that are available. It's the only difference is the deductions will be claimed at the personal level versus the corporate level if you're incorporated. Um, but with the case of incorporation, you have two sets of books in theory. You have the, the corporation itself and then the person who is the business owner. They have to report um, what they're claiming um, as business income. And that will depend on what they draw from the company. Um, a lot of times people will incorporate and keep as much of the income inside the corporation to minimize the tax impact and then draw any income they need just to cover their own personal lifestyle expenses. And that can be in the form of dividends or salary. Um, so regardless, bookkeeping and keeping track of records is universal, regardless of whether you're a sole proprietor partnership or incorporated. Um, this next question, uh, you kind of, we're kind of like molding into this next question, but it's on two tiers. One is for the personal, for, for, for a person who doesn't have a business and the other one's for the business owner. Now, the government and Canada has given a supplement to the individual. Do they have to pay that supplement back? Yes. And, and yeah. what's the difference between a personal supplementation and the business, the business side? So business side, um, is specifically for the business. This could be in the form of a wage subsidy um, or rent subsidy because a lot of businesses face, um, because of the reduction in business, they cannot afford to pay the rent they are they're owing. And for, unfortunately, we're hearing stories already of a lot of businesses having to force to close because of the rent. Um, and so the government did provide this supplement for business owners but they would have to, it would be on the landlord to apply with the the business owner for that. Unfortunately, a lot of cases the landlord didn't, and the business business owner was forced out of business because of the rent being um, extraordinary high, and they, there wasn't enough business to support that. Um, so to answer your question, there is a difference because obviously the the business supplement is specifically for business owner in, in terms of operating and continuing the business, whether it's keeping the employees hired, engaged, or paying, affording the rent while their business is slowed down. A lot of these subsidies actually may be forgivable and not necessarily required to be paid back. 
but because the government is trying to encourage the, the, the economy as much as they can, they're trying to support small businesses. In the case of the personal though, it's a little different. Although they're provided this support um, because there's a lot of people who needed it, they've lost jobs and they have no other income support. The, a lot of the, the curb benefits, actually the curb benefit is repayable. And so you're finding that a lot of people are paying it back right away as soon as they found jobs and they're able to, they're trying to pay it back because it is something that they will have to declare as taxable income next year. Um, it is a repayable and taxable um, income. So it's like any sort of income that you receive, you've got to pay the tax on it. Um, same thing uh, for Canada Pension and EI when you retire, all those social assistance payments you receive are taxable to you. So it's not like it's free. It is in free money. It is repayable in some form. I actually wanted to touch up on the RSPs. I wanted to come back to that. That is our own money. And yet when it's time for us to take it out, we have to pay taxes on that, which doesn't make any sense to a lot of people. Well, the, the idea, the theory or the government's idea is that it's it's after-tax money that you put in and they're only taxing you on the growth. So, um, and you did get a deduction for it. So what is happening is, let's say you contribute $100 today into your RSP, you're gonna get a tax deduction for that $100 contribution. So that, tip, that was actually after-tax money, but you got a tax write-off now but the idea is you're going to pay it later. So you're just, you're just deferring the tax later um, because that $100 came from your income that you already paid tax on it. Um, in using an employee as an example, employees have to pay source deductions um, when they receive their income. Normally that is taken off of their pay right away. What's happening is that, that $100 you put in Part of that was tax. You could have potentially paid, you could have earned a gross 130, but let's say $30 was taxed. So you got a hundred dollars and you put that hundred dollars into your, your RSP. What the government is doing is giving you the $30 as a tax deduction. You have to declare the 130, the gross income, but then you get the $30 back because you contribute to an RSP. But then later on, you're going to, take that money out, you're, you're going to have to pay, essentially you're paying the $30 back because the government lets you not pay the $30 today, but in exchange, you have to pay later down the road when you're 65. Wouldn't it make more sense to put it into like a mutual fund or a stock or a dividend or something like that? Well, it um, depends on the reason a lot of people want to take advantage of it because of the tax liability. So it depends on your tax situation. If you're in a higher tax bracket, it would might make sense because what happens is your tax bracket gets really, or tax rate gets really, really high at the higher tax brackets. It's sort of um, exponential almost where at the highest, it's almost half of your income. Half of your income is going to the government. So if you're in the higher tax bracket, you're, you're looking for any opportunity to 
save that tax now in theory because when you're 65, you're, you may not be in that high tax bracket. So you're willing to fork over the tax later because the tax rate when you're in 65 or drawing on your retirement will be a lot lower. So in effect, you may have actually netted, netted a positive gain over time. Um, on top of that, you've compounded the growth. So whatever money you put in now is accumulating tax-free. So the theory is, and the reason they set this up is it's, it's very beneficial for people in the higher tax bracket. For people in the lower, you're, it's, you're sort of indifferent. If you pay the tax now, you're gonna pay it later. And so there's, there may not be much of a gain. So like you said, you could put it in a TFSA or a non, an open account where you just, you pay the tax now and you don't have to worry about it later because the tax is gonna be the same later on. It's really beneficial again for people who are in the really, really high tax brackets. How would you specifically help a self-employed person to plan for his or her finances in the future? A self-employed person? Self-employed person. So the challenge for self-employed is you're doing everything yourself. It's so much easier as an employee because you get a T4 and everything's taken care of for you. Your deductions are there. Everything is written out for you and you just you know, fill in, if you're, your taxes, you fill in the T4 and everything, for the most part is, is pretty simple, unless you have other things going on, whether it's uh, investment property and um, other types of um, activity that require sophisticated tax planning. Um, for a self-employed, you have to make all the, you have to claim all your expenses yourself. It's on you to be on top of what you can claim so this goes in line with what I was saying earlier, where do your research, learn as much. The CRA is actually very good at providing resources for self-employed people in terms of uh, resources on things like when to incorporate and when not to, how to incorporate. They give you um, a very detailed um, explanation of the resources available, registering your business, when it is at when you need to consider registering for an HST number, um, the limits and that sort of thing. Um, but again, the key is to plan ahead, understand your budget, your expenses, what's deductible, what's not investing in accounting software, because from there, then you can start to determine how much you can put aside for your taxes, um, investing any excess corporate savings that are in the corporate account. Because the other thing that's available to the corporation is the corporation can invest on its, on its own as well. There are investment accounts available for corporations. Um, planning for the personal pension plan I mentioned earlier. Once you know how much you're drawing as salary income, what you know, what the budget is for the corporation, you can plan for how much you can contribute to the business owner's pension and things like that. All of this again requires an understanding of what the, the finances are at the beginning, having an idea of what the revenues are, what the expenses will be, a forecast of the, of the net income, because from there you can then set aside a certain amount for investing and if you do insurance or 
other types of investment planning. This is okay. Um, Cause as a, you know, business owners, they have to wear a ton of different hats when they're running their business, especially at the very beginning, you're wearing every single hat. You're the employee, you're the marketing specialist, you're the, you're the advertising specialist, you're everything. Do you have like a cheat sheet? Because like pulling yourself away from something that could potentially make you money to stay in business or grow your business and going to like uh, the CRA website to go see and hunt through their website to see, okay, how, when do I do this? When do I do that? Is there, do you have like a, like a cheat sheet? Somebody could just, you know, say, okay, at this point in my business, I need to do this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I do have something like that. I can share sort of with the listeners offline a document I can share that kind of gives you sort of the, the quick, ins and outs of the, the things you should consider. What I would suggest though is working with, a, with advisors and experts, because as you said, the business owner has many hats and so they don't have the time, but at the same time, you could be leaving money on the table in terms of tax liability by not planning ahead of time. So it's a combination of, of doing certain things, putting in place certain practices, but also working with any advisors, anyone you know, whether it's an accountant, um, bookkeeper, or a financial advisor, just to help with the initial setup. There are advisors out there that will um, consult. They'll literally, that's their specialty, is to work with startups and companies that are new and provide you a sort of like a package of things to do and set up um, a turnkey approach to incorporating um, all those things like a do-it-yourself kit where a person can go to without having to do a lot of research and fact-finding um, because for the reasons you mentioned. Do you do something like that? Because I'm, I'm going to list all your links in the show notes so everybody has easy access to, to you and your company. So do you have something like that? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things we advise on. Now, we work with partners um, that can provide more specific expertise in certain areas. Um, but absolutely, we do advise small businesses on proper planning, proper um, uh, setup of the organization at the start, even assisting in obtaining financing and funding uh, a lot of business owners we speak to, one of the challenges is also getting funding for um, small business growth. So they're, they're at a stage where they need money to take their business to the next level. Uh, there's government grants. Aside from business um, loans and equity, there is um, government grants available, but the challenge is um, knowing about those programs because the government does not openly advertise them. I know I've looked. <laughs> they don't make it easy. <laughs> they don't like giving money away. Uh, what's one tip that you could give uh, a business owner or a self-employed person to help them recover from the whole COVID debacle? Um, so again, it's very similar to an individual where um, 
take advantage of as much as you can of the, the grants and subsidies that the government is offering. And there is maybe more that you're not aware of. Seek an advisor, a specialist who, who is knowledgeable in those areas, because it is a lot of research. Um, a lot of times, business owners, it's, it's, it's not easy to understand um, how to apply for those grants and subsidies. And if you do come across challenges where the landlord, for instance, is not supporting, there are other avenues you can pursue. Um, it is, of course, important to save for that rainy day fund. So save as much as you can um, and not put it in all in cash. Not saying put it in the markets necessarily, but even for something short term, um, putting it into something like a, you know, a marketable security, something liquid that's risk-free, just so you're staying ahead of inflation and putting aside money because you may need it. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, if it's possible and feasible for you to continue operating, try to do so because things are going, are turning around and um, I'm, I'm very cautiously optimistic, um, but there's a lot of businesses that are still fearful of going back in business, but I would say not to be fearful. Take, try to take advantage of the, uh, the, the grants and the, the opportunities available. You may have to take on certain practices in terms of social distancing, um, you know, limiting customers, depending on the type of business you run, um, but it may be worth it, but you have to consider it. Um, but you also have to look at what the cost benefit is. Does it make sense for you to stay, stay inoperative versus operating? What are the risks? Um, I guess I would say look at it, talk to an advisor, see what, whether it makes sense for you to continue business or not. Uh, switching gears a little bit, but it is kind of, I think this next line of questions are really critical, especially during these times. Uh, what is critical illness insurance so critical illness is a living benefit that pays when you suffer any known defined critical illness, hence the word critical. So an illness that is life-threatening, this could be cancer, stroke, heart attack, diabetes, um, that could leave you critically ill and risk um, loss of income. It's highly recommended to almost anyone uh, whether you're self-employed or working for a company, because it's not something that's provided by most group benefits plans, but it's often ignored or unknown. Most people are more familiar with life insurance um, because it's more widely known. It's, of course, where you your beneficiaries receive a certain lump sum if you pass away. Um, critical illness is a situation where it pays you, the person who is obtaining it, a lump sum benefit to cover for short-term needs, whether it's medical bills, loss of income, et cetera. Most cases when you suffer an illness like this, the argument could be that you will get some sort of disability payment or from CPP or your group benefits plan. The amount of money though may not be sufficient to cover your, your illness or your hospital bills and other expenses that may have incurred because some of these illnesses can be very long and very um, expensive in terms of hospital bills and time. 
if you have spouses, your spouse may have to take time off from work to take care of you, for example, then there's childcare to consider. So critical illness is something that is very important, but often overlooked and very crucial to add to, to your um, financial planning uh, needs. Um, and it could be as little as a lump sum benefit of 20,000 to anywhere near 100,000, it could be even more. Um, it's also important for the business owner, even more so because business owners um, are, have no benefits and typically the business is dependent on the business owner. So if you're using yourself as an example, if you're something were to happen to you, your business will suffer. Your business cannot continue because it's dependent on you, the person. And so if you become critically ill, you're going to rack up some bills. But if you have some sort of insurance in place, at least the insurance company can provide the business some sort of supplement that it can use to continue going, whether it's paying employees, whether it's paying the utilities, the rent, etc. cetera. Um, that's another thing um, that a lot of people, especially business owners, ignore. And in certain cases, it can be tax deductible, uh, the premiums that are paid on those, um, those policies. This sounds like something that big corporations and big companies can afford. Can a small business owner or a solo entrepreneur or just a regular person buy into this? Yeah, again, it depends. The cost will depend on the age, your current health situation, and um, how long you plan to have it for. There are plans available that are inexpensive. Of course, the earlier you obtain it, the better. Um, like anything, the earlier you start, the, the, the lower the premiums. But it's not uh, un, unusual for someone even middle-aged to still afford uh, a small critical illness policy. It could be as, as, as um, little as 20000 and that could be just sufficient for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's the it's situation where something is better than nothing because there will be rainy days. And um, unfortunately, as we've learned from COVID, nothing is certain, uh, anything can happen and it's better to be prepared than not be prepared. Totally agree with that. Um, so what are the, some of the benefits that someone can see from this and how does this differ from OHIP? So a lot of those costs mentioned in the healthcare are not covered by OHIP, unfortunately. And that's where people then get into financial difficulties. Uh, it could be surgery, it could be a specialist, it could be some form of treatment because OHIP can only cover up to a certain limit. There are certain limits within OHIP, but your illness could be so severe that it requires a specialist or some sort of extended long-term care. So the idea of critical illness is to provide either not only supplement, but provide coverage for, for that so that you don't have to take out equity in the home, incur some form of debt. And even if you do draw on loans or debt, those things can take time. It's not like you receive the cash right away. It can take time for you to receive the cash and settle that. And then, at the, and then after it's all settled, you now have more debt on your hands. The idea of critical illness is instead of having to fund the, those expenses through borrowing, you know, let the insurance company pay for that. 
And, and there are policies, there are situations you can set up where for whatever reason, you never have to use that for winners and you're perfectly healthy. There are riders you can add to the policy where you can receive your premiums back if you never have to use the policy. So it's called return of premium. It's also applicable for disability insurance, which is also very applicable for um, self-employed individuals because their earning ability is their biggest asset. So disability and critical illness are very commonly uh, used to provide support for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be actually uh, one more question before we start wrapping this up. COVID, if somebody gets sick with COVID, is it covered under OHIP or is it covered under the critical illness? Well, again, there's until now, of course, insurance companies have not specifically listed COVID as a critical illness. So it's kind of assumed that it's, it's going to be rewritten. So that's the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of insurance companies will now have to update a lot of terms. But people who have already got existing coverages do not have to worry because they're going to be paid regardless of whatever the situation because insurance companies cannot go back and retroactively change um, existing policies. But to answer your question, OHIP would be the first thing we would look to. Anything that's covered by public health would be the first, um, I guess you could say, line of coverage we'd look at. And then critical illness. See, the thing is, critical illness will pay you a lump sum benefit. It's not going to look at whether you have existing coverage. So using yourself as an example, you suffer a critical illness and you've got this policy for 50000 as long as you meet the definition of the critical illness, it, whether it's a heart attack, you suffer a heart attack, the insurance company is going to pay you the 50000 regardless. They're not going to look to whether you received or are eligible for health, uh, sorry, OHIP coverage. Even if you did have um, that covered, it's going to pay you the 50000 regardless. That's what you're entitled to. You can, of course, choose to only receive partial payment if you feel that you don't need it. You do have that option from your side, but the insurance company is obligated to pay you the full amount that you're entitled to. And they're not going to look at um, whether you're covered by OHIP or not. It's not like using example of um, WSIB or disability insurance. A lot of insurance companies for disability will look at whether you've you're receiving WSIB if you suffered injury on the job or um, if you have health and dental benefits, whether any of that's covered before they pay you, they'll pay you the net. Critical illness is a fixed lump sum payment that gives you the money regardless of what the underlying situation is. I find it hilarious that uh, the insurance companies don't see the as COVID-19 as a critical illness. They should take a walk in the ICU maybe. <laughs> I think they're going to change their minds. <laughs> I think it's one of those learning aspects. Even with their practices, a lot of companies have had to adapt their practices, which they've had for many years. A lot of them have you are still using paper-based applications, for instance. They haven't necessarily got on the board of doing everything digital but 
because of COVID, they've, a lot of them have adopted e-applications, digital signatures because of um, the risk of having face-to-face -face contact with people. But uh, what I foresee is they will be updating their contracts new going forward for any new contracts, but they haven't. There hasn't been a specific um, mention of them putting in place or mentioning COVID specifically, but that will probably be something that will be coming forth very soon in the near future. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to be wrapping it up. So I asked these questions to these seven basic easy questions to all my guests to get their input on every on uh, their input on like who they are and everything. So uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lack from the lockdown, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Well, to keep their hopes up is that our country is has been a, a lead, good leader in terms of handling, and we've done well in terms of reducing the number of cases overall. Our economies have already started opening up across the different provinces, and especially in Ontario. Encouraging, the encouraging thing is we've we've done well compared to other countries, including our neighbors down south. We're in a lot better position than others. So the, it's encouraging to see that things will, are already turning around. Unlike the beginning where we weren't prepared and we had all this chaos, um, using example of toilet paper, we we're running out of toilet paper at the grocery stores. We've come a long way in a short period of time. Our government has stepped up um, despite what you hear in the news, all the criticisms and whatnot. We have done well overall compared to other countries in the world. We've reduced the number of cases um, and every the cases have gone down um, compared to other countries. Um, I would say we've flattened the curve. So I'm very optimistic about how we're heading. I would say to keep your spirits up and encourage everyone to still go out as much as possible, but take you know, precautionary measures as much as possible, social distance ourselves, do the things that our government recommends. Um, but there is a lot of room for encouragement. I've just look around us, things have opened up. We, we've reached stage three in Ontario and it's a matter of time before we are, you know, reaching full, full, uh, full stage four. That may take a little bit more time, but we're on our way there and we've already seen it in other provinces. They've reached um, stage four a lot sooner. So I would say to that again, look at what's around us. Everything is opening up and it's encouraging. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you see Karma Financial in the next five years? I would say we will be an industry leader. We will continue to grow as we are doing now. Um, you will see more and more of us in the news and in social media. Um, you may see us again. Uh, you might hear from us again in, and talk about other aspects. Who knows? Um, but we strive to be the industry leader, the go-to, the familiar name uh, that anyone thinks about when they consider whether it's insurance, um, tax planning, um, wealth planning, etc., um, so we will continue to grow and you will see more and more of us um, in some form or another. Awesome. What about you personally? 
personally, I will, my, my long-term goal is to be semi-retired where I am um, able to do things remotely. I, I mean, I am sort of doing things right now with COVID, but my goal is to travel the world more, um, explore the cultures around the world more and, and travel and have more experience to share with people, have more interesting stories to tell and have more experiences out around the world. Um, um, especially with COVID now, I'm more and more excited to get out and travel because of the restrictions we have in terms of travel. Um, learn and continue to invest in my own personal health and wellness. I take health and wellness very seriously. So I currently train on my own, uh, but I do want to be doing that continuously and um, reach a stage where I can cycle uh, long distances. That's one of my personal goals. Um, I currently have limited, I've cycled a little bit, but I want to be able to cycle to Niagara Falls for in, from here and back. That would be one of my personal goals. Nice. Uh, so when the, uh, this is not part of the questionnaires, but it's just a follow-up because I'm curious because I love traveling myself. As you can tell, I've been to Thailand. I've been last five years, I've been to f nine different countries. Uh, what, what's your first stop once the, once the restrictions are lifted? My first stop actually will be Morocco. It's just one of those places I'm curious to explore. It's very unique culture. It's part of North Africa. I've been to North Africa before when I went to Egypt. So I just wanted to explore another country in that region. And um, I know some friends I've made during this COVID time uh, through virtual uh, remote technology. So I'm actually curious just to meet them, but I just, from what I've read and seen, it has a very unique culture. It's in North Africa, but it has a very European-esque culture there, but um, they have very nice beaches and I'm anxious to explore the nice beaches over there. Yeah, I've heard it's a very, uh, very interesting mix. It's, it's, it's a very interesting place to go to. I've never been there. Uh, that's actually on my bucket list. But if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself when I was 20 to enjoy life, like not to take myself seriously. Um, it is good to have goals and ambitions, certainly. Um, but everything will happen and to be patient. Um, it's important to be balanced. Uh, it is good to have drive and ambition, but you need the balance. And so don't miss out on like, do as have fun at the same time and don't take life too seriously. There's, um, you know, there's opportunities will come your way and, you know, it will, everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in randomness. I believe in the law of, of um, attraction and that everything comes to us when it needs to, but we have to be in a position to receive it. Looking back, would you change anything? I would change the, the fact that I didn't, I did take things too seriously early on. I felt that I was under a time limit that I needed to get a lot of things done in my early twenties. Whereas if I just it took things uh, more uh, easily or pace myself and, and try to 
experience other aspects of life, that would have been better because you learn and you grow in many ways and um, not to be just driven because drive and ambition, while it's good, it can kind of take you away from a lot of other aspects of life, whether it's travel, uh, worldly experiences, etc. What keeps you up at night? My, what keeps me up at night is, is um, growth, personal growth, constantly learning, fig, figuring out what to do next to improve myself. I'm always about personal improvement. Nice. Uh, where can people find more about you? So they can find me on my website, karmafinancial.ca. I'm also on LinkedIn under my name, Viren Parmar. I'm also on Facebook. I'm pretty, very easy to find. I'm not actually very hard. Um, I'm very active on social media. And as I mentioned on, on my website, um, I believe you're going to be sharing the links after as well. So the links will be provided, but they can reach me any, many ways possible on social media i'm everywhere all right yes uh we will be posting all your links uh with the show notes and on my face on and on my uh social media sites as well so everybody has access to to you and easy access to to get a hold of you uh friend thank you thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this very useful information for the people out there i know there are there they're suffering and they're probably not sleeping at night because like I said, like I said before, they don't even know if they're going to have food for tomorrow because there might not be, there might not be a job for them. So I appreciate you for coming on here and I appreciate you for sharing your knowledge with, with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And again, to say to everyone, please stay positive. And, you know, we are getting through this, our government is one of the best in the world and they are despite what you hear in the news and the criticism we still have the best country in the world and we have done well we've come a long way have faith in in in, in that and um things will turn around and for a lot of people it already started to and with that uh going through hard times is just a test what you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy 